Well, uh, oh, last week, Pastor Gary threw down the gauntlet that I didn't have long hair. And so I thought I would do something about it. And, and you know what? I can see why he has long hair now. I mean, I was just standing out there for two minutes, and someone said I look like an angel. And, but I do feel taller and smarter and funnier and more handsome and certainly more humble. Um, and, and so I can see why, why you had the long hair, Gary. So. <laughs> Uh, a couple things I want to mention real quick. Um, first of all, I don't know if, how many of you know this, but uh, last week or last night, uh, Maria had an over had a sleepover here at the church with a bunch of grade fours and fives and some of the grade sixes, and they were they were up really really late and they had an amazing time. But if you say if you see Maria, just say thanks for all you do with the children's ministry. She does some really cool things with them, and uh, really grateful for the for the her willingness to um, to take two of my kids away for a night, which was awesome. And uh, so, but, but express your gratitude towards Maria because she does some really great things in the children's ministry. Uh, the other thing I want to mention real quick is that next weekend, uh, uh, the, the youth are, the junior hires are going to Camp Caroline for the weekend. They have a, their junior high retreat. And I would encourage you to, to pray, for, uh, pray for the junior hires that are going and, and that God would, move in, <clears throat> God would move in some really, really amazing ways in, in those young people's lives. And, uh, just uh, looking forward to hearing how, how God's gonna do what God's going to do over the course of that weekend. I'm going to take this off now. I think everyone's got their photos. I can see eight people taking pictures of me, so, uh, so that's great. I, th- I think in the next, uh, when we have our 75th anniversary or 100th anniversary, I feel like my photo is going to be up there with, uh, with that, so that's, that's great. <laughs> Well, over the next couple of weeks, uh, I want to spend some time exploring this idea that, that we are made for relationships, that regardless of what season of life we are in, we all share our lives with people in one form or another. Whatever encounters we have with people, these, I believe, are God-given encounters that God has ordained for some specific purpose. The truth is, is that we were all created to be in a relationship with other people. We've seen examples of that even this morning with, with CJ or Alfreda who have expressed a desire to be in relationship with other people. And I think we can say, yeah, we all, have, we all crave that. We all desire that. We all want to be in community, to relate with others on a personal level. And we all have this inherent God-given desire to be in relationship with someone else. And we see this desire threaded throughout Scripture, this longing to be loved, to be accepted, to be known. And we see it in God's motivation for giving Eve to Adam. In verse 18, when he says, It is not good for man to be alone. This passage affirms this deep longing that we have to know others and to be known by others. I mean, up until this point, Adam has actually not spoken a word yet. There's no recorded word that has come out of Adam's Adam's mouth yet. So we have no clue whether Adam's just sitting on on a log, just pining over, wishing he had someone wishing that he had someone to connect with. There's no indication that we get from Adam that he's feeling lonely, that he's feeling disconnected. What we do know is that God has given Adam this God-ordained task to have dominion over the earth and its creation. Yet in spite of this divine purpose that Adam has been given, there is something that God recognizes is missing in Adam's life. And he says it's not good. Now, the Hebrew word that's used for the word not good just simply means not beneficial. 
It's not beneficial for Adam to be in isolation, to be by himself. And so within that incompleteness, what we discover is that our longing for relationship is actually the product of being made in the image of a relational God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Let us make mankind in in our image, in our likeness. Now we aren't made in his divine nature, but in his attributes, in his likeness. These attributes are characteristics that make us distinct from the rest of creation. Our ability to love, to think, to be self-aware, to binge watch Netflix, other important things as well, but those are some of the big ones. And our ability to relate to one another as well. And what I find interesting here is that up until this point, sin hasn't actually entered the world yet. And Adam was in the perfect, genuine, holy relationship with God. He was experiencing intimacy with God on a level that none of us have ever experienced before. Yet God recognized that there was something within Adam that wasn't good. And God in his wonder, and God in his will, God in his infinite wisdom, instead of fulfilling that relational need within us, he chooses to concede that relational role to you and I instead of filling it for himself. And so because of this reality that we are created to relate to others in the same way that God the Father relates to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God provides Eve to be that person Adam would relate to on a different level than how, he, how Adam relates to with God. George Eliot once said, Oh, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh your thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out, just as they are, chaff and grain, together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then with the breath of kindness blow the rest away. Truth is, it's not easy to find someone like that. Finding someone who you can be your genuine, authentic self with, warts and all. Someone who will accept you and love you even with your shortcomings, your quirks, your insecurities, and even within your sin. There's something special about having people in your life who know everything about you and yet still love you. Which is where we see Adam and Eve in the the creation account in Genesis 2.25. They knew each other completely and yet felt no shame. Adam and Eve knew each other in every way. They shared the fullness of intimacy that two people could ever experience, not just sex, but through an emotional, relational connection between other people. They experienced the fullness of relational intimacy. Intimacy is just simply being entirely known by someone, fully embraced, fully accessible, knowing that the relationship that that is shared satisfies the longing that we all have to be genuinely loved in ways that only people can satisfy. Relationships, though, look different for each of us, and it should. I shouldn't have the same level of relational intimacy with another woman as I have with Natalie. I also know that I don't have the same level of relational intimacy with someone I've only known for a few months compared to someone that I've known for several years. And I think Jesus models this distinction for us as well. If we look at it from a broader perspective to a more narrow concept, we see that Jesus spent time with large groups of people. He connected with them. He related with them. He taught them. He, they felt connected to him and he to them. 
And they enjoyed time together as a large group. However, as, as this community, as, these, as the relationships narrowed down, Jesus also had the twelve. The twelve that he was close with, who, who he shared life together with, who he spent time with, he ate with, prayed together with. They journeyed with one another and carried, and they, and they grew together with each other. They were able to ask questions with, to one another and challenge each other, encouraging each other, helping each other to pursue the kingdom together. And they enjoyed the benefits of relationship that the larger group would never be able to experience. And then yet again, it narrows it again. And Jesus had the three. And again, those three relationships deepened once again with Peter, James, and John. And those relationships, the relational dynamics there continued to build and continued to be stronger. And, and those three were able to be part of significant events like the Transfiguration or the beating in the Garden of Gethsemane. They got to be part of these intimate moments where they could experience and observe Jesus in his, in his, in his most human moments. And Jesus shows us that each of these levels of relationship had value and importance. But each one also served a purpose and were also uniquely different from the other. Yet, in some divine way, they were, they, they were these equally incredible appointments that, that allowed people to experience Christ in a special way. But today, you and I, we are called to show Jesus as well. Just like with Eve and Adam, God has actually empowered and enabled you and I to fulfill our God-given role as bearers of his image through our interactions with other people, through the CJs of the world. We are made for relationships regardless of how minor we think they might be. Those encounters have been placed in your life so that you could reveal Christ's love in a way that they've maybe never experienced before. Last weekend, uh, we went to, my family and I, we went to Regina. We had to do a quick trip to Regina, and so we, we drove to Regina one day, spent a day in Regina, and drove back the next. And on the way back, we, we stopped at, we stopped at Medicine Hat at a Starbucks. And, and the, 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 the cashier there, she was the grouchiest person I've ever met in my life. Just miserable. And... And as we left, Natalie observed, she said, you know, she like rolled her eyes when I, made, when I ordered a tea, like just, like just having an awful day. And it struck me as I was, I was thinking about that particular encounter and thinking, I wonder what people think when they interact with me. Whether they get a taste of Jesus when I interact with them. Or whether they just think he's just a miserable guy. I hope that the, the, the I hope if I only have one encounter with one person, I hope that they experience Jesus. I hope that I don't leave a bad taste in their mouth and, and think, boy, they follow Jesus? Boy. We are made for relationships. Whether it's in the larger context like Jesus participated in, the smaller group within 10 or 12, or maybe a, a certain two or three people that you feel really, really closely connected with. We all have and need people you can, that we can share our lives together with, that we can pray for one another, growing beyond what we, 
what we can learn in, in isolation and taking our relationships and faith to a, a whole other level, to a deeper level. About seven years ago, Natalie and I felt the void of, of not having people in our lives to share our journey with when we experienced a significant loss in our family. I remember going into work that morning feeling numb and not knowing how to express myself and, my, and all my emotions. But more than that, I remember this, this deep sense of loneliness that I felt knowing because Natalie and I were going through some difficult things, that no one else could relate to our pain, and that there was no one else that, we, that, that was able to share with us what we were going through. And we lacked the relationship that would be willing, the relationships that would be willing to journey with us and be Christ's physical presence in our lives during that season. Until a year, a year later, when Natalie and I joined a small group at our church. It was a small group of, of young marrieds with kids. So there was ourselves and there was two other couples. We all had one or two kids at the time. And we met weekly to share our lives together and study God's Word. And we, we shared things we could celebrate. We shared when things were difficult at work or in our lives. And, and we could just pray for each other and just journey with each other through the, through, through, through the reality of, of following Jesus. We were able to share things that allowed us to celebrate the work that God was doing in our lives as we united our hearts together with Christ. Now the way that our, our small group worked is, is every week it changed. So the first Monday of every week, or the first Monday, the, just the guys would get together. And so there would be the three guys, and we would get together, and we would talk about what it, meant, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to be a husband and father. We'd share about how things were going at work, and, and we were able to, you know, just talk about guy stuff. We were able to hold each other accountable, laughing and praying. The second week, the wives would get together, and and they would bring all, they kind of have a little potluck thing where they'd make snacks and baked goodies and, and they would talk around at the kitchen table and they would talk about what it means to be a, a mom, what it means to be a follower of Jesus as a, and help lead our kids to, towards Christ, what it means to be a, a wife who's married to people like me. Boy. <laughs> then they would pray together. The benefit, of course, for, for us doing that was that it allowed the guys to have one night off from, from kind of parenting role. That we could just get away and, and we wouldn't have to chase our kids around to, to brush the kids' teeth or make sure they went to bed. And wives could do the same thing the following, following week. And it was, it was like this day of rest for us where we could just, just be in the presence of, of like-minded people who love Jesus and want to discover more about him. The third week, all the couples would get together, the six of us would get together, and we'd all get babysitters, and we would gather at someone's house, and we would share with each other. We'd study God's Word together and unite our hearts together as six individuals, three couples together. We inevitably grew in intimacy with the Lord, too. Fourth week, we'd get together, we'd bring all of our kids, and just be this loud, chaotic gathering. But it was fun. We would do potlucks, and play games or have a campfire in a backyard where the kids jumped on a trampoline and we would just spend time together. Year after we joined that particular small group, we were able to experience the fullness of what it meant to be a part of a community of people that wanted to be the tangible presence of Jesus in each other's lives. We gave birth to our third child, Elizabeth. And when we came home from the hospital, we had these two families, these two couples, who in spite of their own busyness, 
who instead of, in spite of everything going on in their lives, they made time to visit with us. They prepared meals for us. They arranged with people within the church to, to prepare meals for us. They came over to a house and did laundry and cleaned our house for us. There wasn't anything overly spiritual about anything that they did, yet in a very practical way, this small group of people did something incredibly Christ-like for us. They did something I think Jesus would do. These couples knew us intimately enough and chose to be the presence of Jesus in our lives and were able to identify exactly what we needed and loved us in very practical ways. As I said, when when just the guys got together or just the women got together, there was, when just the guys got together, it just, it changed the dynamics of the conversation, though. Suddenly the conversation became a little bit more deeper, a little bit more personal. We are more apt to share about what was really going on in our lives. There just was just a, simply a higher level of trust that, that allowed us to share things that we might not have been able to share with other people around. We could just be ourselves. Because we knew, we knew that whatever was said would be held in confidence and that our trust wouldn't be betrayed. Celtics, they have a word to describe that type of relationship. The phrase anamkara. Just, it would just mean soul friend in Gaelic. Anamkara. And so from a general perspective, an anamkara is the relationship that we have with people we share life with on a deeply personal level. I have three people in my life who I would say are Anamkaras. Natalie and two other men. Their both names are Ryan, which is cool because it keeps it simple for me. But when we get together, we challenge each other and we encourage each other and then we pray for each other. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The idea beyond this verse is that in the same way a piece of iron is used to sharpen a sword in preparation for battle, the iron improves the sharpness of the sword. It, it helps refine its purpose and why, why it was created for. The relationship with, Anam, with an Anamkara refines another person in such a way that it, it deepens the relationship with one person to another, helping them to be what they were created to be, to be more like Jesus. I think when Solomon wrote this proverb, he probably learned the importance of this from his dad, David, who had his own Anamkara in, in, in the prophet Nathan, who in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan confronts David and spoke some hard truths into David's life after his affair with Bathsheba. But he was able, still able to do it with grace and love. Solomon was the beneficiary, I believe, of, of that hard truth that David learned about himself because I think it after that confrontation with David and Nathan, I think it changed the entire trajectory of, Nathan, of David's kingship. The Anamkara relationship allows for a deeper sense of freedom to let your guard down because of the foundation of trust that's been established. You know that what you're going to say is going to be received and you're still going to be loved for it. Confession is one of those areas that I think is best suited in an Anamkara relationship where you know that that your Anamkara, your soul friend, is listening and will love you no matter what comes out of your mouth. A couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with one of my Ryans. I hadn't seen him since his brother passed away of cancer two months ago. His brother was 40. Knowing that this was obviously a difficult time, I, 
I wanted to spend some time with him and just to see how he was doing and just care for him. So I said, hey, why don't we get together? And so we met at a pub on a Monday night and just had some really informal time just talking about football, talking about life, talking about our kids, marriage. How he, but, then we, but then the conversation shifted. I asked, how are you guys doing? How are you really doing? How's your family doing after your brother died? As they continued to mourn and grieve. And he shared with me a number of things that he was feeling. But through our time together, it became apparent that there was more than just, more than just grieving and mourning that was going on. And as I asked him other questions, our hearts began to connect as I was able to care for him in such a way and love him in such a way that I think the Holy Spirit was leading that conversation. Where it became very obvious that this was no longer a conversation between two men. It was, two, it was a conversation between, between two men who loved Jesus and wanted to grow closer to each other. Our time together was in a very informal place. There was nothing reverent about it. Where we just spent time, but we spent time together. We laughed and shared our hearts together. And after we shared together, we prayed for each other and, and, we, and we made it a sacred place because Jesus was there. Anamkara relationships happen when a person is seen for who they really are behind the veil. And their soul friend still chooses to love them. And their two hearts become one. Loving people the way that we are called to regardless of the context of the relationship. Acts 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Since the beginning of the Christian church, I think history has shown that the most effective way for personal, spiritual, and numerical growth is through the strengthening of intimate relationships with one another, where lives are shared and intimacy was intentionally pursued. Where we share intimacy with others regardless of the context, big, medium, or small. And it communicates us, when we do that, it communicates a sense of belonging to those that we interact with. So when we engage in conversation here at Thornhill, Sunday mornings, when we chat with people that maybe we haven't talked with before, it communicates that whatever barriers might can think of, we say those things, we're going to set those aside. We're going to say those aren't important anymore because what's important is that I want you to see Jesus through me. As a church, I think we do that fairly well. I think we do that well in this context on Sunday mornings. People come to our church and say, what a loving church this is. People come and they feel accepted and loved and like they belong, like, like the barriers that they have are, are set aside and that they are welcomed and they are loved and they experience Jesus in this setting. As a leadership team, we also see the potential that small groups can be and feel that that there's an area of growth for us in the future. We believe as leadership that small groups are where people grow deeper in their relationships with each other, where we will move beyond the friendly conversations and greetings that we experience here on Sunday mornings, and that we will take those relationships to a whole nother level together. 
We believe that small groups are where people grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus. We believe that small groups are where lives are changed and long-lasting personal transformation occurs. Last month, our elders and Pastor Gary, Sig, and myself, we set some goals. And we determined that we wanted to set an ambitious goal for ourselves in the area of small groups. And so we want to, our goal is that we want to see 10 small groups started next year. And one of the, some of the standards that we have for small groups is that it's a group of 6 to 12 people that meet regularly, either every week or every other week, to explore God's Word, to share with each other and pray together, but also have a missional focus that, serve, that, that allows us to serve in one form or another within our communities. My suspicion here is that there are many of you who are craving deeper relationships. And this is something that you've been wanting and, and just saying, I wish that there was more here. But maybe you've had your own obstacles and barriers that, that have prevented you from moving forward. We want to say that this is an opportunity for you to get behind this. And I want to invite you, invite you and encourage you to join a small group next year. This is just the beginning of our conversations as a church about small groups. So you can anticipate that we will be having further conversation in the future. Last thing I want to do before the worship team come on, comes up is mention the map that you probably noticed when you came in. It has nothing to do with the election happening on Tuesday. What I'd like you to do, this is part of our just trying to understand where people are coming from within our church. If you could just take a minute or two after service, just take a pin and just put, put, it, put, your, put a pin in where you live. And we want to get a picture of where people are coming from within our church. And we're going to leave that map up for a couple of weeks. So if you don't get a chance to do it today and you need to get out of here right away, that's fine. But we want to provide space for you to be able to come and, 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 and just and, and put, show us where you live. I know some of you also live out of town, come from a distance. Your, 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 your house is probably not on the map then. If you could just put a, put a pin as to kind of the general location, that would, be just, that would still be helpful. We've got some plans this next year that we are going to implement to move us towards our goal of developing small group ministry at Thornhill. This is going to be the, this is step one in identifying where people are coming from within our church. So as I said, if you could take some time after service or the next couple of weeks to, to put your pin in, that would be really helpful. Next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sharing again. And I plan to be speaking on some of the areas that help us to grow in intimacy. What are some things that, are, that help us to grow in community and relationship? But what are also some things that are hindrances? What are obstacles that we have to overcome as well? Worship team, can you guys come on up? I'm going to pray.